This is Dr. Russell Blaylock, and you're listening to the Blaylock Health Channel. This week, what I'm going to talk about is gluten sensitivity, and mainly I'm going to focus on the neurological effects because that seems to be the thing that doctors are least familiar with. Gluten is getting a lot of attention lately. It's uh, sort of been the redheaded stepchild of medicine. Uh, it's, it's been pretty much ignored. And when I was taught in medical school back in the uh, 60s, we were taught that the only manifestation of gluten sensitivity was celiac disease. Now, gluten and gliadin are small proteins that are found in certain types of food, mainly wheat, barley, and, and rye grains. And what we thought back then was that only a very, very small percentage of people had what was uh, considered full-blown celiac disease or gluten enteropathy. In other words, a disorder affecting the intestines. But now we're, we're finding a growing number of people who have less severe and obvious forms of gluten gliadin intolerance. But in a neurological sense, it is uh, infinitely more severe because it goes undiagnosed for so many years. In many cases, this disease is a very subtle disease. It's difficult to diagnose clinically by most physicians. And unfortunately, in recent times, processed foods have additional gluten added to their formula. And so it has high amounts in these processed foods because of the adding of additional glutens. Wheat that's grown today has much higher levels of gluten uh, than it did 100 years ago. So people are being exposed to rather massive amounts of gluten in these processed foods and, and even in the, the so-called natural products. Now, what happens in this disorder is this uh, small protein, gluten, and a part of the gluten called gliadin, gets trapped underneath the lining of the small intestine primarily. And because it's trapped there for uh, decades, uh, even a lifetime, the immune system is constantly attacking that protein, trying to remove it, but it's unsuccessful. And therefore, you have this state of constant inflammation, uh, not only in the intestines, but throughout the entire body. Now, you would think, uh, because that's where the immune reaction is taking place, that the main system uh, symptoms would be related to the GI tract. Uh, such things as intestinal cramping and bloating, uh, recurrent diarrhea, and weight loss and vitamin deficiency because you have malabsorption. You can't absorb uh, certain nutrients, certain types of vitamins and minerals. Uh, so you think this would be the major symptoms uh, because that's where all of this begins. But actually only one in six people present with these symptoms. And because of the lack of these obvious symptoms, a large number of people go undiagnosed throughout most of their lives. And this can lead to a, a number of disorders that you would think would be totally unrelated to a gastrointestinal problem. For instance, sudden loss of hair, uh, severe hypothyroidism or even hyperthyroidism, a gradual onset of dementia, uh, loss of memory function. Loss of balance, what we call ataxia, a sudden onset of seizures. Uh, in some people, particularly the elderly, a recurrent pneumonia or recurrent uh, episodes of meningitis in the young, which can be due either to Addison's disease, that is adrenal 
damage caused by the uh, immune reaction or hyposplenism, that is the cells, the immune cells in the spleen are impaired. Uh, we also know that it's associated with a number of, of cancers, uh, highly malignant cancers. For instance, people who have celiac disease uh, have a 33-fold increase incidence of small bowel cancer. They have a five-fold increase in melanoma, a 23-fold increased risk of papillary cancer of the thyroid gland, 11-fold increase in esophageal cancer, and a 11-fold increase in non-Hodgkin's type lymphoma. It can cause a sudden onset of migraine headaches. Just out of the blue, you start getting migraine headaches. Uh, it can cause uh, osteoporosis. And very rarely do physicians look to uh, gluten-gliadin-type reactions and tolerance as the cause of osteoporosis. GERD is uh, a commonly caused uh, symptom uh, of uh, gluten-gliadin intolerance. Uh, lactose intolerance can suddenly appear. So that if you drink uh, dairy products or consume any sort of dairy products, uh, you have intestinal cramping from the lactose intolerance. Anemia and fatigue is very common. And that's because you malabsorb or have difficulty absorbing vitamin B12 and folate, which has to do with red blood cell formation. And an unexplained infertility can be caused by an undiagnosed gluten uh, sensitivity. We see increased incidence of miscarriages, early onset of menopause, higher neonatal mortality, that is the newborn baby is more likely to die, and reduced sexual desires as commonly associated. Now these are all different things that can occur with uh, undiagnosed uh, long-term gluten intolerance. We also know that 10% uh, of all peripheral neuropathies for which you cannot find a cause have uh, gluten insensitivity. Now, peripheral neuropathy means that the nerves going to the arms and legs, primarily the legs, are damaged, and so it produces this intense numbness, sometimes pain, loss of strength uh, in those extremities. Uh, peripheral neuropathy is fairly common, particularly in the older age group, and can be quite disabling. Now, what uh, we're going to talk about mainly is neurological complications, which occur in 6 to 10% of obvious cases of celiac disease, but probably a much larger number of people that are intolerant but undiagnosed. People often have a certain blood tests that show antibodies being formed to gliadin and endomyosin, but these show the sensitivity in the intestinal region and have less relationship to the neurological damage. So the typical tests that had been done for celiac disease is less sensitive in picking up uh, neurological problems. Now, the neurological symptoms depend on intolerance to gliadin fraction of the gluten uh, in wheat and prolamins uh, from the rye and the barley. Now, the childhood onset, if it becomes obvious, and, and most of the time these intolerances develop in childhood. They're associated with things like abdominal distension, poor appetite, vomiting, diarrhea, malabsorption, and weight loss. But there's considerable variability in presentation uh, in childhood. Uh, you can have very early onset celiac uh, problems in childhood, or it can be delayed. That is, uh, it can occur later in life, even though the first beginnings of it are starting in childhood you can get both gastrointestinal symptoms or dermatologic symptoms uh, associated early in life. 
most often the neurological symptoms occur without obvious GI symptoms, and it's usually delayed. So the, the most likely victim of uh, neurological associated gluten sensitivity is those who don't have any GI symptoms, and so they go undiagnosed throughout their life. Now, the neurological manifestations of gluten gliadin immune reactions, number one is cerebellar ataxia. Uh, this is a loss of, of balance. So that uh, if you close your eyes, you can't walk in a straight line. You tend to fall as if you're drunk. And that's because of the immune damage in the cerebellum itself. Peripheral neuropathy is very common. Myopathy, that is weakness and pain in the muscles. Depression, a progressive myoclonic ataxia. And a very uh, fatal disorder called progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy. And fortunately, that's quite rare. Seizures can occur in about 1% or 2% of people with diagnosed uh, gluten intolerance. And these can just suddenly appear out of the blue. And migraine headaches is uh, commonly associated with uh, gluten gliadin sensitivities. Now, we said the cerebellar uh, involvement is very common. And that's because there's this immune reaction that uh, takes place uh, in the area of the cerebellum. And it triggers what we call immunoexcitotoxicity and slowly begins to destroy those nerve cells uh, in the cerebellum. And that can result in ataxia of the limbs. For instance, if you, as we said, if you try to walk in a straight line with your eyes closed, you tend to fall. If you try to stand in one spot with your feet together and close your eyes, you tend to fall to one side or the other. You can also have dysarthria. That's difficulty with speech. You cannot... Uh, speak a smooth sentence, it's fractured and broken up. And you can get oculomotor symptoms, that is, the eyes tend to uh, shake back and forth. Uh, we'll call it taxia of the ocular motor movements. And all of this is due to damage to the cerebellum. The cerebellum does more than just control coordination of movement. We used to think that. Now we know that actually it also controls thought processes and that people who have cerebellar damage have difficulty putting their thoughts uh, in a logical order and expressing those thoughts uh, in a smooth, logical way. Uh, neuropsychological testing shows that people with uh, gluten neurological damage can have deficiency in their working memory. The executive brain functions uh, are impaired, that is, being able to uh, direct your thoughts and uh, control them. You can even see psychosis in some individuals and all of this is due to damage of the cerebellum, but there's widespread damage to the brain uh, in this disorder. Now, in one study in which they looked at 68 patients who had uh, gluten ataxia uh, with a mean onset of age at 48 years. So they had gone most of their life from childhood with undiagnosed uh, gluten sensitivity, and at age 48, they developed these symptoms. 84% had the ocular signs, that is the abnormal movements of the eyes. 66% had the dysarthria. 75% uh, had ataxia of the upper limbs. 90% had ataxia of the lower limbs. And 100% had some sort of ataxia uh, when they were trying to walk, that is they tend to fold in different directions. And 79% were found on CT scan to have cerebellar atrophy, that is shrinkage of the cerebellum. 
And on MRI scan, they found various abnormalities in the uh, white matter of the brain. And when they tested the nerves in, in the arms and legs, 72% have abnormalities uh, in those nerves. Now, most uh, patients will present with nonspecific complaints or trivial complaints. And this can be either what we call silent celiac disease or latent celiac disease. And that is, it produces so few or no GI symptoms that these other things are ignored by their physician. They just can't diagnose it. And there are two cases reported in the medical literature of ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or Lou Gehrig disease, and people with undiagnosed celiac disease that improved significantly when they were placed on a gluten-free diet. And there's been some other neurological type findings like uh, chorea, where these writhing movements you see uh, in some people was caused by gluten sensitivity and cleared when they stopped it. And interestingly, on some of these people who have these brain disorders, x-rays of their head or CT scans will show intense calcification of the thalamus of the brain, which is a deep brain nucleus. And that's sort of typical of gluten neurological involvement. Now, in one study in which they looked at cognitive involvement, uh, some 13 patients, uh, they found all of them had a, this insidious subacute onset. In other words, this problem with their thinking very slowly developed. It was quite subtle. Three of them developed a rapid progression of dementia, ataxia, and seizures. And uh, that was more unusual presentation, but it can happen. So sometimes people just rapidly uh, progress and deteriorate. Uh, people can have things like amnesia and neurological uh, symptoms like a calcula, uh, which they have difficulty counting and, and identifying their and counting their fingers and doing mathematics. Uh, confusion, personality change uh, is quite common. And usually the family is the one that picks this up. Their loved one, suddenly their personality changes. Uh, only two had cognitive changes uh, all alone. The others had ataxia or other peripheral neuropathy, some kind of neurological sign along with the cognitive problem. And a brainwave test showed abnormality in the brainwave, either focal or diffuse slowing on the EEG. Uh, but occasionally, it can be completely normal. The CT scan at the, the uh, adult stage shows atrophy of the brain. And as I said, the MRI scan can show numerous abnormalities in the brain. A study of 263 neurological and psychological conditions, which occurred in 189 patients with celiac disease, and they classified them. And what they found, there were 71 cases of depression, 25 cases of epilepsy, 20 cases of migraine headaches, and there was no neurological disease found in the patients who had the typical dermatologic problem called dermatitis hepatiformis, which is associated with gluten sensitivity in some people. The neurological disorders associated with this gluten sensitivity is more likely to be ill-defined, and that's why it's so hard for physicians to diagnose this. Now, as we said, epilepsy was one of the neurological conditions that's associated with this. And interestingly, in the people who have the, the seizures, when they uh, do a CT scan on them, they find out they have these calcifications in the occipital lobe of the brain, uh, which is quite characteristic. And the reason they have this calcification, as we said, in the thalamus and in the occipital lobe 
is because when the brain is exposed to excitotoxins, it produces calcification of the brain. And this disorder uh, is an immunoexcitotoxic disorder, as I'll discuss in just a minute. New studies have found that there's a link between gluten sensitivity and progressive hippocampal damage. That's the part of the brain that has to do with recent memory what we call hippocampal sclerosis, and is frequently associated with temporal lobe epilepsy. So what we're seeing is a progressive loss of, of uh, neurons in the part of the brain that has to do with memory and in the frontal lobes, uh, which has to do with control of, of the uh, social functions. And when they looked at these people who had temporal lobe epilepsy, three out of seven of them uh, were found to have histologic evidence on intestinal biopsy that they had gluten intolerance. Now, the big question is, uh, what causes the neurological injury? Well, until recently, everyone thought, and a lot still say it, but it's not uh, the latest research, uh, was that it's an autoimmune disorder. That is, that there's uh, what we call immune uh, mimicry, is that there's a, the gliadin resembles a protein in certain nerve cells in the brain, and so the immune system mistakes that and attacks those nerve cells. Well, that happens, but it's not direct damage by this autoimmune process. It's more due to the inflammation produced by the autoimmunity, so it's what we call bystander damage. That is, it's damaging things around that immune reaction. But the most important uh, is not the autoimmune reaction uh, in the brain. Rather, it's the triggering of microglial activation in the brain, which is the immune cell of the brain. And when these microglia become activated, they secrete large amounts of glutamate and they release large amounts of uh, inflammatory chemicals such as cytokines and chemokines. And this combination of the inflammatory chemicals and excitotoxicity is what produces a great deal of this neurological damage. Now, some of the damage due to malabsorption in the severe GI cases, they don't absorb B12, folic acid, uh, pyridoxine, and this can cause some neurologic damage as well. But it also aggravates immunoexcitotoxicity. Now, in experimental models, you can take animals and produce this colitis-like reaction, that is inflammation in the intestine, and that will transmit signals to the brain through the vagus nerve and through circulating cytokines in the blood to the brain, activate the microglia, and trigger immunoexcitotoxicity in the brain. And that's what produces this degeneration because the excitotoxins are producing uh, high levels of free radicals, lipid peroxidation, that damages these nerve cells in the cerebellum, the thalamus, the prefrontal cortex, and the hippocampus. And that results in all of these conditions that I described. Well, it also does the same thing in the peripheral nerves. So when you look at uh, sciatic nerves or various nerves in the body that are affected by peripheral neuropathy, what you see is intense inflammation and overactivation of glutamate receptors producing damage and the, and the symptoms. Now, the typical treatment for uh, gluten sensitivity, of course, is to remove gluten and gliadin and prolamin uh, from the diet. And so uh, typically what you do, you try to reduce uh, the amount of gluten to at least 10 to 100 grams a day, much lower for the children. Now, the FDA says you can allow 
prolamine, but I don't think that's, that's wise. Prolamine is mainly found in rye and barley. Now, uh, one of the ideas that uh, was presented in how to take care of this, well, just let's use a digestive enzyme that will break down the gluten into an even smaller molecule so it won't cause a problem. And they developed a uh, special enzyme called prolyl oligopepsidase, and they used the initials FM-POP. The problem is, is the stomach acid destroys that enzyme, so it hasn't worked. As a new enzyme that's been uh, derived from fungus Aspergillus niger, and it is acid resistant, so it works very well. So it, it uh, seems to have some hope that people who have this intolerance, if they take this enzyme with their food, they can then tolerate uh, the gluten in the diet. So far, we don't have this product available, as far as I know, uh, unless that's been recently released. Now, one of the problems we find with gluten-free diets and neurological problems is that for some reason, when you stop the gluten, the neurological syndrome continue. And it's suspected that what happens here is that the gluten is still trapped in the intestine. And even though you stop eating it, it doesn't go away. And that acts as a continuous immune stimulus to produce the problem. And there's prolamins that are in other products and other foods and uh, environmental allergens as well that may be acting as a constant uh, source of stimulation of these brain microglia. And there's a, a part of your clearance of these symptoms is to get rid of the excitotoxins in your food. Uh, and a lot of excitotoxin food additives are added to food like MSG, hydrolyzed protein, soy protein isolates and concentrates, carrageenan, autolyzed yeast, uh, natural flavoring. These are all disguised names for excitotoxin additives to processed foods, so you need to avoid those. And you need to increase your antioxidant protection. And so let's look at some of the things you can do. For instance, you increase the number of antioxidant enzymes, particularly in the brain, by using melatonin at nighttime. Curcumin and quercetin increase antioxidant enzymes, and so does zinc and selenium. And your nutritional antioxidants like vitamin C, E, D, K, uh, your B vitamins, methylcobalamin, uh, your folinate, uh, flavonoids, quercetin, curcumin, hesperidin, apigenin, uh, all of these are powerful protectants and reduce inflammation in the brain and the rest of the body. Your minerals, magnesium, selenium, potassium. Uh, selenium and magnesium both block excitotoxicity. Uh, when you increase the energy production in cells, particularly in the brain, it protects them against excitotoxic damage. The metabolic product pyruvate is very potent in doing that. Malate and creatine pyruvate, which I like. It's a combination of creatine and pyruvate, which helps protect these nerve cells against damage. Uh, acetyl L-carnitine or L-carnitine, arlipoic acid, ginkgo biloba, venpocetine, uh, your B vitamin mixtures, especially thymine B6, riboflavin 5-phosphate, niacinamide are very powerful in protecting against excitotoxic damage. Taurine, vitamin K, Taurine is particularly important in protecting the brain. Neuroprotection, there's different ways to reduce these microglial activation in the brain. Magnesium uh, citrate or citrate malate. Magnesium reduces brain inflammation, calms down microglia. Quercetin, curcumin, ginseng, 
Hesperid and Luteolin, uh, Camferol, Anthrocyanidins, uh, which are from your grape extracts, Celimarin, and DHA. All of these have been shown to reduce microglial activation. So does apigenin. DHA has a capacity to produce a lot of protection. It reduces the inflammatory signals uh, in the brain. It inhibits the immune activation of microglia. It increases neuron membrane fluidity, which makes the nerve cell uh, function better, protects the synapse and the dendrites, improves cerebral blood flow, directly blocks excitotoxicity, and it's been shown to increase brain levels of serotonin and dopamine. And we know that in certain conditions like autism, which has a very high incidence of gluten sensitivity, they have a deficiency in these DHA uh, omega-3 fats. Curcumin is particularly important in protecting the brain. You probably should not use curcumin in small children, but once they're 10, 11 years old, you can start using smaller doses of curcumin. By the time they're 14 or 15, you can use adult doses, which is about 250 milligrams to 500 milligrams three times a day. And you have to have it either compounded for high absorption or mix it with extra virgin olive oil for absorption. Other things to remember, you avoid fluoride, excessive vaccinations, pesticides, herbicides, exposure, exposure to industrial solvents. Avoid foods that are naturally high in glutamate like portobello mushrooms, red sauces from tomatoes, and uh, red meats. Uh, Get eight hours of sleep a night. Do not smoke. Uh, Try to uh, exercise, but don't exercise to extreme levels and avoid chronic stress. Don't use a cell phone for prolonged periods. Avoid aluminum products, uh, wrapping food in aluminum foil, for instance, or cooking aluminum pans. Drink purified water. Good idea to add a little magnesium to the water. Avoid the red meats, as we said, because there's high in iron and uh, glutamate, which is brain damaging. Do not take iron supplements unless absolutely indicated. Always take vitamin C between meals because vitamin C dramatically increases iron absorption from foods. Eat three to five servings of fresh fruits and vegetables a day, mainly the cruciferous vegetables. Blenderizing them is an even better idea. Drink one to two glasses of blueberry extract concentrate a day and balance your omega-3 oils, mainly increasing omega-3s, particularly DHA, and reducing the amount of omega-6 oils that you take in, such as corn, safflower, sunflower, peanut, and soybean oils. And, of course, you should pray often and thank your Creator. Well, I hope this has been informative, and if you've enjoyed listening to this week's podcast and would like to hear previous episodes of the Blaylock Health Channel, go to our website at www.blaylockhealthchannel.com. The information contained within these programs is not intended to replace or contradict that of your physician. This information is for educational purposes only. 